Welcome to Women in Entertainment's In Her Words podcast. I'm Renee Rossi. And I'm Gretchen McCourt. And we're the co-founders of Women in Entertainment. Today we're talking to Emily Fox. Emily is a showrunner and executive producer for some of the biggest shows on television and streaming services. We think that you're going to really enjoy this episode, learning Emily's journey and how she comes up with such fun content like Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So we hope you enjoy. Emily, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're so excited to talk to you about so many things. A half hour is not going to be enough time. (laughs) (laughs) I I can talk really fast. Okay, good. So first of all... um, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and Renee and I like to pretend that we watch a lot of content that she recommends, but actually it's very mutual. So Jane by Design, I just want you to know, first of all, I own it. I own it because that's how obsessed I am. So Kendall gave me questions today okay. to know why, where is the next season? We have to have this story continue on. Oh. It's our favorite. We absolutely love that whole series. We love Jane. I mean, Andy McDowell. Oh, my Andy God. McDowell. But I want Jane to end up with Billy. Okay. Kendall wants Jane to end up with the nephew. I forgot his name. Um, uh, her, Andy's nephew who works at the works right. At the, so we've got a lot of uh, we've got a lot of notes for you. Okay, <laughs> I I think Jane was going to end up with neither of those uh, options. Okay, she that hurts. <laughs> well, I think I mean she's she's sixteen. Imagine think back to your sixteen year old yeah. boy, boyfriend from that. That's not. That's not how you end up. We have with some. Anymore. We have some. Some growing and 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 changing to do, and our tastes might change. And it was such a fun series, and just so uh, it was so bubbly. Yes, and fun, and it was kind of a precursor, though, to like Emily in Paris and some of these that you know, just the uh, the outfits and the fashion that she got to do, and you know that that you know, leaving reality behind mm-hmm. that the 16-year-old could be confused for a young adult and have a job in the city when she's really uh, a high school, a high school student, student out in New Jersey. Is that where she was? Yeah. She was like in Westchester. Westchester, and, okay. But yeah, I mean, it was it's the ultimate fantasy yeah, for, yeah. for a particular kind of, you know, young person that like dreams of, you know, we who doesn't like, yeah. you know, lie in bed at night and think about like what what could be right right you know and envisioning yourself in a world that's like you know in your mind is a fairy tale and of course like a huge part of that was about like acknowledging and and seeing the reality of what it is like to be in that world and that right. it isn't all just um you know uh, cute outfits and and magazine shoots and right there's a right. lot of work that goes into it no, and, it was uh, a great. It's a great YA series for Aww. for young boys and girls, and we hope that it well, continues as well as, as adults. adults. As like, <laughs> like, am I watching it on my own when she's not around? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I'll never tell. <laughs> what? Um, that's such an interesting. I mean, you you love that YA world. Will you tell us a little bit about? Uh, we really want to hear your journey, not just about your projects, but that is a favorite. So I had to get it in there. Okay. But what? But but your journey and how you how you came to that world and why, I mean, you excel and, and see and love it. I, well, I think I, you know, I, I feel like I have very vivid memories of being a teenager and being a young adult. And like, it was such a formative time. And I think I, 
kept a really careful record of my own experiences, my own like, you know, hopes and dreams, my own like dashed hopes and dreams, you know, it was like, it was, and again, it's like, it felt like a very, um, uh, a complete memory. And so there's so much for me personally to draw on, like from my own personal experience, but also like the experiences of my friends, which were also, you know, so varied and complex. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I grew up in Philadelphia in the eighties, like a lot happened and um, social media makes it uh, like really, it makes it possible to remember all of that, reconnect with those people, reconnect with that time in your life, you know, people finding old photo albums mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. posting yeah. pictures where you're like, oh my God, like <laughs> that, you know, and I, I always say like, everyone's like, God, the fashion. And I'm like, listen, we were doing the right thing at the time. Yeah, we that were. That was correct. That hair, that, I was about outfits. to say that hair. It's oh, like the, hair. Oh, the I know. It's aquanet like I my sister used for those bangs. The bangs had to go straight up in the straight air. Straight up in the air. Like, yeah. yeah. And the perms. Right. I and mean. it didn't look strange to us of course at the time. No, no. And Looking now, back, it's like I think back on like begging my mom for a perm. Oh yeah. Begging her. <laughs> she was like, no. <laughs> I was like, I wanted to get my hair feathered. And I was gently advised not to do that <laughs> with my hair. And I tried to do it myself, you know, with nail scissors that went about as well as you might expect. I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. That's but a recovery. It was just, I think, uh, but, but getting back to your original question, I think like it's, um, and I have a 15 year old daughter, so I am sort of uh, getting to relive it a little bit through this very different lens. Yeah. And, um, brings me great joy when I can work on something that she can relate to and where I can bring our experiences in. I also have a 12 year old son, so I don't want to leave him out of it because he also is um, a big fan of a lot of um, the work that I do and watches my shows with me. And like, it's, it's just so interesting to examine that time in life um, from a grounded perspective, um, staying away from stereotypes and staying away from, you know, those, those moments when you really feel like, oh, this character is being written by an adult. Right, right. As opposed to, oh, this character really sounds like a teenager and really is having teenager experiences, even though, even in the case like Jane by Design, where it's like an extraordinary situation, uh -huh. you know, she's an ordinary girl. Right, right. In many ways. Woman, sorry. <laughs> Young woman. No, and I think that is, um, we see that I've seen that through all your projects and, and Watchful Eye just popped into my head also because whether it's the young woman, whether it's um, Kelly Bishop, who is so fan, there's such a um, a connection with them and such a – it doesn't matter if it's coming out of – I don't want to say how old Kelly, but I don't know how – but an older woman or a younger there it's just such a, a real conversation happening and I think um, – there, there's no stereotypes there that are you're trying you're you're very successful in in avoiding those stereotypes like this is what a young girl would say this is what an older woman would say and their conversation flows back and forth really really amazingly real they were wonderful I mean Kelly Bishop's a national treasure oh my gosh she is ageless um and we're huge Gilmore girl fans so all of I your mean, little pieces I mean come on. not uh I know I was very st starstruck around her <laughs> in a way that was 
It's like you think about her and Dirty, dirty Dancing. Like, right, think of right. Like, she's been in so much. She, she has in, seen so much. She was in the original cast of A Chorus Line. No. Was she really? Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Oh I mean, I you and can it, imagine getting really tongue-tied around someone like yes, that. Yeah. Like, yes. like how, how, how am I sharing the same air with you? This is... Like, I am not worthy. Well, and just how fresh she is in this. I mean, even that little, she had a little um, cameo in Maisel, I think, the last season. Mm -hmm. And just that, too. I mean, she's, she's as fresh as she probably, as she was in Dirty Dancing. And, like, is, and, and it doesn't. And a chorus line, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so, and a chorus line. Yeah. You know, of course. Yeah, she's such a pro. She's so prepared. Um, but, yeah, her rapport with um, our, uh, with Elena, with uh -huh. Marielle, who plays our main character, um was instantaneous and you know what we've always said about those two characters is even though they are from such um uh, opposite walks of life that game recognizes game that they're yeah. both they are both very good at reading other people and seeing sort of what's behind the silver curtain yeah and it it makes them really worthy adversaries so it's really fun to watch the sparks fly between them um because they're not exactly enemies no they're you know but yeah they're, like they that. are allies in a respectful way, of yes. each other yeah mm -hmm. when you're when you're creating and, and working with your writers how much of that is scripted and how much comes when you cast them like how much of that is I don't want to say imp uh, impromptu but but is is that rapport between them was it seems so natural I mean, it's gambling, right? Because when you're casting roles, you're casting them individually. You can't, you don't really have the luxury of, you know, putting two people in a room and seeing how they are together. I mm -hmm. mean, sometimes you do if there's like two, if there's a romantic lead um, and there's going to be like a big love story you can do if you're, if time permits and, and everything else permits, you can do like a chemistry read to see if these two people have on-camera chemistry. But that's usually reserved. For the only times I've done that has been for a romantic story. Okay. It's not for like a like a, a friendship or a, you know, you kind of trust the actors. And it's, but it's all a gamble. It's like, I think these two people will work well together. And in the case of Kelly Bishop, it's like, we know her body of work. It's, yeah. Yeah. I know what she can do. And um, she was already cast in the show when I came to the show. So I didn't, I wasn't part of that process, but oh, okay. of course, I mean, she's perfection. And I think that was exactly what that character was meant to be, which is someone who has been raised in a certain kind of world and who wants to protect her own interests because no one else will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's steely. And I think Kelly just brings that um, as part of who she is. Uh, but she also was able to layer so much on top of it beyond who just Kelly is, you know, right. it's not just be yourself. It's, you know, be this character. Yeah. Yeah. And the show's good. I mean, oh, such great reviews and, mm -hmm. and we can't, I mean, there, right. it's amazing how, um, just wow, what everyone's thinking and how excited people are and waiting for the next episode to come out. So that's, that's, I has to be a lot of fun. It is. I, I need to, um, the thing you're not supposed to do is go on Twitter <laughs> or like Reddit <clears throat> and find people who are like asking questions or have like, you know, whatever kind of snarky comments. Right, and right. You're never supposed to go on Reddit. <laughs> you never go on Reddit. Naturally, the first thing I did was go on Reddit. 
And like people were like, oh, this show's really interesting. I wonder what this means. And I wonder what's going to happen with this. I was kind of like, hi, um, I'm the showrunner. Did you do an AMA? I didn't do like a formal AMA, but I was kind of, I just like went on, like okay. someone made a page and I was like, like oh. just if you guys have any questions, oh. like I'm not going to reveal anything like huge, but just like I'm here. I just <laughs> want you to know I'm here. That's amazing. And Did they go crazy. Crazy, which is so fun where yeah. they're like, wait, what? They're like, what are you doing on Reddit? And I was like, <laughs> listen, I love Reddit. And like, I've always wanted to just be on Reddit and actually speak authoritatively on something instead of being the dummy who's like, you know, who's the killer on Mayor of Easttown? Like that's, <laughs> I, this, it's fun. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. And I think like when you engage in a positive way, yeah, that's like, oh my God, I'm so happy you like the show. Do you have questions? Like, yeah, that's awesome. And that way, you know, no one comes at you with hostility. Right, right. No one's going to be like, well, I hate the show, you know. And if they do, I'll be like, um, oops. Do you want $10? Like, can I reimburse you for your time? I feel terrible. Like, you know, it's, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's fun for, you know, because yeah. you make a show, you're in such a bubble, you know, you're only with, you know, your cast and your crew and the network and the studio and the producers and all the people. And it's like, you're all sort of in this, it's like you're in a pinball machine yeah. and then suddenly it's out there right? and people are responding and having ideas and having theories yeah. and it's like. It's just fun because that's the whole point, right? Yeah. Right. The yeah. objective is to about like, it. Yeah, get that's interesting. Something. It's, yeah, it's a place of vulnerability for you to go onto Reddit because it's the actual audience. It's not press. It's not reviewers. It's, it's you're not scripted of what yeah. they're going to ask and what they're going to say. I love that. So it's, it's that's incredibly vulnerable of you to do. It's actually the thing that made me feel better. Like last week after the premiere, I was mostly under like a weighted blanket, like watching horror movies, and <laughs> so it's it's it freaks you out. Like it's really hard to put something out yeah. there and know that like some people are going to come back with like, oh, this is so derivative or this is right. really flat or I don't really like it or I watched it and I'll never get that time back and whatever. And it's like, right. that's going to happen. Of course. Yeah. Um, but then kind of, you know, going on Reddit and seeing someone be like, hey, this show's really good. I wonder if this, do you think it's this doorknob? And I'm like, it is not that doorknob, but I can't tell you that. But I love that you're thinking that. Right, you know, it's just so like, cool to kind of see where everybody's imagination is. Yes, like, and I'm like, some like people are like a trail in the creative process. I know, and I'm like, I don't want you to guess everything right now. <laughs> do you do you find that when you like even just going on it for for the last episode, do you find that that affects your creative process? Like that you're like, oh, that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> I mean, a little, you know, because the show is like, you know, it's sort of done and dusted, so it's like I can't go back and yeah, do anything right, at this right. point. But, but the someone, next one. Someone <laughs> did say, like, I wonder if – I forget what it was that they suggested. Oh, they had seen something. The re There's a reference she makes to uh, to Elena ma mentioned something in episode three about um, a Buñuel movie where, like, the thing with the eyeball. Yeah. And someone on Reddit was like, oh, my God, the eyeball. It's eyes. Everything's about eyes. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't even realize that. Like, I didn't oh, realize. I was like, oh, yeah, so that cool. is an eyeball reference. But I didn't, you know, so it's like a little like I want to make it seem like that was intentional. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that was – I totally did just that play on it cool. Just play it cool. Purpose. <laughs> but it's – um, I mean, I guess to the extent that it would affect my creative process, it's like – it's sort of hard to say because – of just the timing of it all. Yeah, the timing of yeah. it all. But it is, it does sort of give you real-time feedback from 
the people that the show is written for, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's, um, you know, and I, I, I do think it's interesting to see what they respond to, you know, and which characters they like and which lines they think are funny or if they don't think it's funny at all. And I guess it's, you know, it's all, it all goes into the mix of like, yeah. what is it that we're trying to do here in telling a story that has something to say about, you know, life as we know it and the human condition, things like that. Yeah, no, that's, uh, it is. It's brave of you to, uh, <laughs> to put your, put it out there and to be, uh, to say who you are. You could have been just a, an anonymous person. <laughs> yeah. I could have just been like a little white, like blob, uh, yeah. like a hat on. <laughs> yeah. We, um, when we were, when we were going through things and, and preparing today, we said that, uh, we kind of have six degrees of, uh, of Emily Fox with women in entertainment because of people who have, have come in. So we, ju- we worked with Paul, Paul's been on the, done our summit before and you guys worked together on, on Zoe, right? He, I mean, together in the sense that we both worked on the show. On the show together. But and- we were, I was, I did season two of Zoe's okay, okay. and that was in sort of at height of pandemic. So we were in a Zoom writer's room okay. and we didn't go to the set and we didn't, um, I mean, Austin Winsberg, who created the show, he went to the set and one of the other writers, Zora B. Kangaga, went to the set, but we were mostly here in LA. So that show was the least interactive oh, I because have experienced it was a- because it was... You know, Paul said it's one of his favorite projects of his whole career. Oh, yeah, that's so nice. Uh, yeah, he really he loved <laughs> loved loved that. I uh, loved it too. That project. It and, was yeah, it was a, a lot of delight, fun. and especially at that moment in time, yeah. to be able to go somewhere every day where it's like we're thinking about music, we're thinking about love, we're thinking about you know grief, and a lot of the themes in that show were pretty heavy, but it was counterbalanced with so much lightness and yeah. so much joy. What a and fun cast. Oh, my gosh. cast is fantastic. And, like, just, like, I mean, singing and dancing. It's, like, yeah. that's that's yeah. what we do to, like, yeah. stave off, you know. Everything. Everything. Grief, <laughs> sadness, sadness, fear. Anything. You know, and at that moment in time, I mean, I think that was – that. I mean, Zoe's was sort of, like – I mean, it was a great show on its own. Uh-huh. But the timing was exquisite. Yeah. Because it helped – I think helped bring a lot of people out of the doldrums. Yeah, I absolutely. Hope. We also did you where, remind me what project you work with Julie Dirk? Oh, work? Julie Dirk wrote the pilot of um, Watchful Eye. Oh, of Watchful Eye. Okay, because yeah. and we have had the Grace and Frankie, Grace and Frankie, Frankie and Grace. How do they say it? Grace and, Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie. The whole the cast and the team. We've had, they've been at yeah. the summit before. Julie's been on a panel with us before. Oh, that's so, fun. Yeah, that's yeah. So great. So yeah. there's just so many the the teams that you put together and that you get to work on. I mean, how many amazing projects they do with you, and how many projects is is do you have a do you have kind of your regulars that you would like to work with? How do you how do you mix and match your teams for these different projects? That's a really interesting question because I always say that putting together a writer's room is moneyball, right? It's like you have to have people in the room who complement each other. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I know a lot of people who are, you know, in a hiring position st- struggle somewhat with the idea of creating a team um, because I think there is this uh, impulse to have kind of everyone be at the same level of productivity and experience. And, you know, my view is always like, no, you need a, you need a whole, you know, 
a mix of different strengths and different mm-hmm. different life experiences, different points of view, um, you know, different ages, different sexual orientation, different you know, backgrounds. It's like everything, everyone has something to bring. Um, and I have, you know, you, you do find yourself kind of picking up, um, you know, uh, people jump on the train as you're going and, and I've, I have worked with many people several times over. And, you know, when, when we were putting together the writing room, writer's room for this show, it was like, oh, well, we gotta get, I gotta get this guy yeah, this one and this one. And then, but I loved also to meet new people and bring in, you know, especially young people who are starting out, um, you know, at the staff writer or story editor level, like that's, I, I've, I get so much joy out of being able to be a mentor and a good guide to young writers because Mm -hmm. that's, listen, I'm going to work for them someday. And this is a business that I think can be very brutal and can really chew you up. And I feel very protective of young writers because I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it can be awful, but let's come work with me and this will be really fun. And then if you end up in an awful job next, you can call me and you can be like, this is awful. And I can say like, yeah, that's awful. Like, (laughs) don't do that. Let's not do that again. Whatever. It's like, you know, it's being a kind of a, a big sister. Right. Yeah. right. And, and, but hopefully if they've established a foundation yeah. and they feel confident in themselves as writers, then they can sort of move forward in their career and, you know, feel like they've got their feet underneath them. Did you have somebody who helped you on that as you were coming up? Like when you look at your, when you look at your history, what were your, like, that was, that was horrible, but I, I pushed through it. You know, did you have those like kind of pivotal moments that you're trying to almost protect kind of the the upcoming creatives from that you had to go through? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, I mean, every show is its own, like, its own, you know, opera of insanity. Um, and certainly I have taken uh, lessons from every show, from people on different shows. There's certainly plenty of lessons of like what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are almost just as valuable as yeah. the ones that show you what to do. Um, and I, you know, I, my first television writing job was on the ghost whisperer, which was, mm-hmm. um, I guess sort of a little bit of a, a weird fit for me at the time. Uh, it was a brand new show at the time. And I watched that show. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was a good show. It would, that was a, what I learned from that show is that a show itself can change um, fundamentally from pilot script to filmed pilot to series. Those can be three very different things. Interesting. So when I read the script, it felt like one thing. It felt sort of Buddhist. It felt very philosophical. It felt like a love story. Um, And it was all those things, but uh, then the pilot leaned hard into the procedural component. Yeah. Um, or no, the pilot didn't really, the, I mean, the pilots can't really do that. But off of the pilot, I think the network um, w- encouraged the writers to lean into a story of the week formation, which I just hadn't, I hadn't come to the project expecting that. Um, and it's not necessarily the kind of writing I like to do. Yeah. I can do it. Um, and so that was a, that was an interesting, um, 
sort of a, a maze to run through, trying to figure out how to adjust what I do to what they needed. Mm. And I don't think I did a particularly good job. I was only on for one season, um, but I learned a lot. It was a valuable, valuable lesson to know that like there is so much work and change that can go into a project between the pilot stage and the series. Um, and you have to be prepared for that. Do you have a preference with um, all, all everything that you've done with with writing, with producing, with directing? Is do you do you have a favorite? Do you have a oh I want to write this, but I need to direct. I don't want to direct it. How do you? Or is it just project by project? How involved? Or, you mean, do I have a favorite project? No. Do you have a favorite part part you play in the projects? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like if I say a favorite project, <laughs> no, 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 no. We wouldn't put you in no that. favorite okay. children. No, you, I, like, you, I guess you love I all your do, like top five. <laughs> um, uh, I like it's funny because show running is. I always say it's about fifteen percent writing, which is funny because like I'm a writer, like that's my job and my title and my skill set. Um, but so much of it is about producing and about, and it makes you a smart writer. It makes mm -hmm. you a better writer. This is why I always advocate for writers to come to the set mm -hmm. for their episodes. And that's been hard because most sets now are out of town and you mm -hmm. really have to lobby for that because no one is going to be super inclined to like fly the writer up to the set and yeah. put them up and whatever right, it is. Right. So uh, but I think it's it's vitally important to be on the set and really see, like, okay, you put this thing on the page. You want this scene to be in a hospital? Like, I, you should see how much work goes into creating that space, making right, it look right. realistic. This is, we're going to get a location that is not, in fact, a hospital, yeah. and we're going to bring in all this stuff to make it look like a hospital. And there are trucks lined down the driveway of this place, and there's police, and there's cones. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's it's an unbelievable undertaking and you should know, like, if you're setting one scene in this hospital room, like, it better be worth it. And right. so that was, that's like a good lesson to learn uh -huh. in along the way of your, along the path of your career, because it makes you a smarter writer because you always sort of have to be looking through a producing lens. Is this producible? Interesting. Like, is Interesting. this vital to the story? Could this be somewhere else? Like, and I'm not saying you should always like cheap out. Like, if it should be in a hospital, then put it in a right. hospital. Right. But yeah. like... You should know what that means. I'm like, I love set design. I love props. A lot of people don't care about props. Mm -hmm. I mean, the props guys care about props. But like, there's always like a props meeting before every episode. And people are like, ugh, props. And I'm like, when's the props meeting? <laughs> I can't wait for the props meeting. Because like, you get to do stuff like pick, like which pen would this guy use to write down this thing from that he's a cop and he needs to write something down on a pad of paper. I'm like, well, it can't be this pen. So interesting. Like the characterization through props is just such an interesting. It is. Like, well, in the building in Watchful Eye, I mean, it's a character. Oh, that I, yeah. So the exterior is a real building okay. in New York City. It's like on the Upper West Side, I want to say 116th, 123rd, somewhere way up. And it's a beautiful building, but it's unusual. It's on a corner, so the front of it is sort of curved, and it's got these beautiful archways in the front. Yeah. It's got a porte-cochet, which is unusual. And um, But what we did was we filmed exteriors in New York. You know, every time you see someone walk into that building or walk out, that's real. 
but the lobby set itself was in Vancouver on the soundstage. Okay, okay. Which is wild. So we had to recreate sort of the, what you would see of that exterior if you're inside. But then the lobby itself is in another country, oh which just blows my yeah. mind. Now, but, did you, were you part of that with your props and the set design oh God, and everything? Yes. Oh, like, that's amazing. <gasps> yeah. It was so fun. <laughs> like I got to, I got to help pick out like what the floor was made out of. That's and so that cool. doorknob they're talking about the on Reddit. Doorknob. <laughs> well, it's bringing your writing to life. It's like yes. that's so interesting and so much fun to build because you're literally taking from your imagination and bringing it to reality for the masses to, to, to see. Right. And so when someone notices something, I'm like. <laughs> so writing, taking like a novel to screen, thinking what you said about as you're writing, be, you know, be conscious of what it would make to produce this. So a screenwriter, that's very in their mindset, like what they're, because they're specifically writing. If you're writing a novel, you may not ever imagine that it's going to become um, a movie. And so is it, are they very, they're very different starting places with the, the, the written piece. Cause if they wrote a novel, it can be as crazy as they, you know, cause they never were thinking it was going to be produced and, but a screenplay they're thinking, you know, you're hoping oh, they're thinking about yeah. that a little bit. If you're writing a screenplay, you, um, you know, and you have, it's interesting because when you're writing a screenplay, you actually are meant to be pretty spare in your description. Yeah. Because the production designer is the one who makes those choices. Okay. You know, you you only write about the curtains in a room if the curtains are relevant to the plot. Like you wouldn't, I don't need, when I'm reading a screenplay, if I, you know, oh, we walked into a room and there was a green chair with a brass swivel base and a, and a yellow and gray rug. It's like, no. I don't need You walk into detail. a room and people talk. Okay. That's it. A screenplay is, you don't have a lot of real estate yeah. on the page to describe things that are superfluous uh -huh. you know when you get to the stage of you're making this movie you can sit down with the production designer and say I would love to have a green chair with a brass swivel base and a gray and yellow rug but like if you put that into your screenplay it's gonna it gums up the read and it slows people down like what they really want to mm -hmm. know yeah. is where are you and what are you saying interesting it takes away from the story it takes away from the story and it also presupposes that like you you're making decisions and 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 taking away the agency of someone else whose job it is to yeah create pick out that the, world you know it's yeah. like they and they know things that I don't know because I haven't been trained in that I am not in fact a production designer and it's I love working with the production designer uh -huh. but I'm always going to defer to them if they say no we have to do something we can't do brown velvet it looks terrible on camera right yeah. then s see you later brown velvet. Gotcha. For instance. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I actually wanted to back up a little bit. Because okay. one of the things I think going through this is is just you have such a, you know, breadth and depth of experience. How did you decide on this career path for yourself? How, I, did, how did you get into it? Decide is a big word. Or how did you I don't know if I did decide. Um, I think, well, I, I moved out to Los Angeles Um with a job, I had a I had been offered a job as an assistant working for a director, uh, f a feature director, and um, it took me a while to get oriented out here. I didn't. Um, I I moved here from New York. I'm from Philadelphia originally, and I didn't quite understand Los Angeles. I didn't really understand Hollywood. I didn't. Under it's like a lot of intersecting gears, and it took me a a while 
I think it takes everyone a while to sort of figure out like, okay, how does this all work? Yeah. Um, you know, who are the, who are all these people? And at the time it was, I always joke about this, that it seemed like every top executive at every company was either named Mark or Tom. <laughs> and I could not keep them straight for the life of me. And I just, and at working as an assistant, a huge part of yeah. what you keep is the phone sheet. Yeah. And I would just, someone would say Mark something and I would just wrote, write down Mark. Mark and then just put a last name because there's so many. And then, but then it turned out that that Mark hadn't called at all. And then when you call them back, they're like, we didn't call you. And then that's embarrassing. That was a terrible, terrible assistant. Terrible. Um, for that, in that first job. And then I had a couple of other jobs and I ended up working um, for a literary agent. And that, by the time I got to him, I was a good assistant. And because I, I, I understood in which direction the merry-go-round was moving. And that was very interesting to me because a huge part of the job from his directive was read scripts, you know, read yeah. everything that comes in that door. And he was a literary agent, represented feature writers and directors. And so I just started reading everything. And I thought I would love to do this. And I had, a, I got an idea for a screenplay um, and I was, I was sort of batting it around and he and I had, sat down to sort of talk about like, you know, my future. And I said, he said, do you want to become an agent? And I said, I think I want to become a writer. I want to have an agent. And he said, well, can you write? And I said, I, maybe. <laughs> and so he said, go take a class. And there's like all these classes yeah. you can take. I took a class called Writer's Boot Camp that was fantastic. It was a six week class. And I wrote a screenplay, wrote a draft of a screenplay. And then I sat down with my boss again and he said, how to go? And I said, I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, the class required you to write for a certain number of hours per week and you could, mm -hmm. you could spread it out however you wanted. And because I had this full-time job and agency desks are pretty busy, I was mostly writing on the weekends and I would sit down at nine in the morning and I would look up and like the sun was going down because I was so That's absorbed amazing. in it. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's never happened to me before. I think maybe this is the thing I want to do. And so he, quote unquote, fired me so that I could collect unemployment. He said, mm -hmm. take six months, see where you get. You've met everybody in town. You know all these people. You've worked for me for two years. You know how this works. See, see where you get. And he kind of threw me in the swimming pool a little bit. In the deep end. Yeah. But it was the greatest favor anyone has really ever done for me, which is that he kind of kicked me out the door and said, look, if you're sitting down at nine o'clock and looking up and the sun's going down, that's what you should be doing. That's yeah, love. 100%. Yeah. Um, passion. And so that was my, I wrote this script called Blockhead that was about what happened to the Charlie Brown kids when they grew up. And I knew you couldn't sell it because you couldn't get the underlying rights to use the characters. Mm. And everyone said, don't write it if you can't sell it. And I was like, nah, I'm going to write it because I want to. And I did. <laughs> And that became, and it ended up becoming a, like a calling card. Like people still, when I meet them, they're like, oh, you wrote Blockhead. And I mean, this was like 150 years ago. So it, it was a, um, it was a really fun script. It was sort of right at the very, very, very beginning of like sort of reboot fever. Like okay. it was, remember like the first, like the first movie I remember coming out that was like 
capitalizing on nostalgia was the Brady Bunch movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which was like a parody, yeah. but also yeah. great fun and everyone yeah. loved it. And, um, you know, so I sort of, I, I, this, this was about the same time. And the idea was just like, you know, it's, it's poking fun at something that we all love dearly, but at the same time, it was treating it with great respect mm -hmm. and, um, and honoring what it was and what it was to all of us. And it ended up becoming, it, I got every job that I've ever gotten has sprung from having written that screenplay that I used as a sample. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was kind of. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. You took a passion project and that's like your calling card even, you know. Even now. Like. I know. I found, someone found recently, someone must have scanned the cover page that had a note on it from someone who had read it that said something like, this is a pretty good script, but can she write anything else? <laughs> It was just clearly like an internal note. Yeah. Right, it was something right. that was a little dismissive. And I was sort of like, oh, God, I don't know. Like, that's a good question. I hope so. But it was really funny to like unearth that. I like to from, see that. Like, yeah, like to see like later. someone else is being like, I don't know. Maybe like, this will work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So wait, go and also you said you, you know your top five, like your five favorite kids. I, okay. I mean, I've only written on like, I mean, I don't know how many shows. Okay. I'll tell you just some that I loved. Okay. How about that? Not okay. ranked. Not ranked. <laughs> not ranked. Not like, but some that stick out in your head is like, and, and why? Yes. I mean, hindsight number one, which was because I created that show, which was a journey in and of itself. Um, that was a script that I wrote for NBC in 2009, um, which NBC passed on the script and then a year and a half later, um, VH1 was looking for scripts that were already developed because they wanted to get into original scripted content, mm -hmm. but they mm -hmm. didn't have like, they didn't yet have the apparatus at their network to develop things from scratch. So they were looking for things that they could sort of, you know, pick up at mile 25 and, you know, take to the end of the marathon. So they ended up developing, we redeveloped it with them and then made the pilot and then got picked up to series and made 10 episodes. Um, and that was a delight. That was about a woman who, um, uh, on the eve of her second wedding, like hits her head and conks out and wakes up on the morning of her first wedding oh, in that's fun. 1995. <laughs> and it had the best music and the best clothes. And it was like, it was sort of a, one of the reviewers said it was the intersection of romantic comedy and horror because <laughs> going back to your old life is not what you think it's going to be. Cause we all think that, right. We all think like, Oh, if I could go back and change one thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. But like it, you can't change one thing. And also like, do you really want to change it? Yeah. <laughs> like circle effects were all where we're meant to be at. at right. Time. right. Exactly. So yeah. like, but this was this, this explored the, the, the temptation and the satisfaction and then the, the extreme dissatisfaction of doing that. And so that was, that was so much fun. That was my first time really show running. Um, I had a co-showrunner, my dear friend, Johnny Norris, who also worked on Jane by Design. Oh. That's where we met. And um, we had such a blast when we filmed in Atlanta. And uh, that was just like, that's where I feel like I learned every valuable skill that I employ to this day. Um, and I loved the actors and I loved the sets and I just loved the whole thing. Um, 
And then that had gotten picked up for a season two. We had written season two, but then uh, they canceled it before we started filming, which at the time felt like unspeakably tragic and unheard of. And now, of course, happens like once a week. Right, right. So that's horrifying, but also I'm kind of like, yeah, that's that's showbiz, right? (sighs) I sound much more um, modulated about that than I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then uh, one of my other favorites was Daybreak, which I wrote on for Netflix, um, which was created by Aaron Eli Colite, um, who is another dear friend. We met on that show. And that was set in the apocalypse in Glendale. And only the teenagers had survived. Um, So that was a very different kind of a young adult Mm show. Mm -hmm. And um, that show was completely wild, like way outside of my comfort zone in every sense. But, um, you know, Aaron really pushed us all to just go someplace real crazy. And it was crazy. The kids were like <laughs> living at the mall and there were factions and it was a little bit based on warriors and right. like, I mean, not based on warriors, but inspired by, and I'd never heard of warriors. And like warriors has the best opening sequence of any movie oh, yeah. in the history of time. And but I didn't know that. I have, yeah. I have oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. But like, so that was just like that was fun because it was such a it was such a left turn from anything I'd ever done before creatively, and um, that was filmed in Albuquerque, which it turns out is pretty easy to make it look like the apocalypse because <laughs> we just like brought in a couple Sorry, of tumbleweeds. Albuquerque. Sorry, Albuquerque. Albuquerque. <laughs> but like when you when you <laughs> abandon everything and just put in some like kind of some gravel and stuff, it's like whoa, this really does. The- <laughs> Um, and, uh, it's, it got me sort of like hooked on apocalypse shows. So now like I watched all of station 11 and I'm watching the last yeah. of us. And, you know, now I'm kind of like, well, how did you guys do the apocalypse? Like we didn't do buildings falling down, but you, okay. I see what you're doing there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was, that was a, like a great creative stretch. That was really fun. Um, and then they ordered a season two and we wrote it and then they canceled it. So, <laughs> so that happened again. <laughs> um, and, uh, and of course, Zoe's was just such a delight, as we've said, because the timing was yeah. so perfect. Mm-hmm. And I just loved all the people on the show and loved getting to live in that world of finding songs that work for moments and finding moments that work for songs. And, you know, what's more fun than like... I was going to say, that's like, that's, that is a fun job. Yeah. It was yeah. Like, that is a fun very job. fun job. It was really fun. <laughs> Um, and then this show was, this show was a wild ride and, you know, filming during COVID is no joke. Like it is really hard and you have to be really, really careful and you have to be really compliant. And there was a lot of testing and there was a lot of fancy footwork because if somebody did get COVID, like an actor, you had to write around that. Right. And with something that's really carefully constructed, like a mystery with a lot of different you know, you're playing this very careful game of chess and it's like one of your pieces has to, is not available for 10 days. Yeah. Mm. And you're like, I need that piece back, but also can I sub in another piece? And that's going to change the trajectory of this whole story, but there's nothing I can do about it. So that's like, that's, that's producing. That's like when you were talking about like, what's the, you know, what's the most fun yet most challenging part of the job is like, in that moment when your line producer comes to you and says, okay, we're starting this episode tomorrow 
and this actor has COVID and they're not going to be available. Do we shut down or are we rewriting? And you say, we're rewriting. Right. Yeah. And there were two other writers up on the set with me in Vancouver that week. And we sat down on the floor of the soundstage in like a circle as though around a campfire and passed this laptop around fixing this script. And we were just in it. People kept coming over and being like, do you guys want chairs? And we're like, no. <laughs> like, we need to be like, on yeah, the we floor. On this grimy, freezing cold, concrete floor. And I was like, I just need to... I Do it. I need to do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I'm in a chair, I'm not... This yeah. is too serious for mm-hmm. chairs. Mm-hmm. This is floor work. And we just, like, we just did it. We just... And we, and we changed the story and got some actor who was on their way to the airport. We're like, can you turn around? And come back and do this episode. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! The, the energy the that you're, I mean, in these pieces that you picked as your as your favorites, yeah. uh, the energy is so high in all of those. I yeah. that's what like, it is. I'm hearing from you, it's like the like, different. And, yeah, and it's also like just sitting on like eggshells during yeah. COVID because you're just like, what's going to happen next? And yeah. like making sure you're thinking of like, well, you know, are you constantly just sitting there with like anxiety, like what's going to happen next? I mean, COVID was one of many different things that I was anxious about um, or just paying attention to. And I think, you know, uh, it's also, you know, you're always thinking about the budget. You're thinking about like, what is, Mm -hmm. what is possible here? I want this to look expensive, um, but I don't want it to be expensive. Yeah. And that's, that's not everybody's sort of first thought when they're writing a show. And I've sort of learned to make that my first thought because some of the shows that I've worked on have had very tight budgets. So I've sort of, you know, I've learned a couple tricks and, you know, I've learned not to set scenes like on a boat, for instance. That could be expensive, but it's always expensive. You can't, like, no boats. Right. (laughs) Triangle of Sadness can do a boat. Right. Not doing a boat. Right. It's, um, and I've, so I've, I've, um, yeah, it's exhausting, but at the same time, it's you get that sort of like you get in a groove. It's like you hear about people who are runners. I'm not one of them, but like where they're like you get to that. Yeah, you you push past the like the painful part of it. Mm-hmm. The, the part that I don't push past, where I'm like, <laughs> this is painful. I'm not going to do it. Um, but where you get to that, you get yeah. that high where you're like, oh, I'm I'm just. I'm just whacking moles here. I'm just yeah, like, yeah. Just just bring me a done. problem. I'm going to solve it. Bring me another problem. I'm going to solve it. Yeah. I can't solve this problem. Let's find someone who can, you know, and that's a huge part of, I think, what made this show successful was just sort of keeping our wits about us. Yeah. And you have to have a sense of humor. You cannot, t- you have to like take the job very seriously, but at the same time, not take it seriously. And that's, that's finding that balance is really hard and getting other people to find that balance is hard where people like start to freak out and mm-hmm. you're like, Hey, 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 this is a television show. We don't work in the ER. Yeah. Like right, no one right. is, I, I don't think anyone's going to die. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> but let's put this in perspective. Right. And yeah. like get, Keep it grounded. let's let's find a solution. Every problem has a solution. And one of the best um, uh, sort of like pieces of advice I got or lengthy, uh, like a scroll of advice um, was uh, at, the Writers Guild has this program, the Showrunners Training Program, which I have not taken the whole, I think it's like six or eight weeks or something. Mm-hmm. I did the crash course that's one day. And that's when they sort of, it's like listening to the greatest hits album. And um, Glenn Mazzara came in and talked about 
um, the difference between a problem and a crisis. And a problem, a crisis is anything that threatens to shut down production. Everything else is a problem. And every problem has a solution. And then he gave us like a list of 10 things to do in a crisis, which I have written down and printed out and framed and needle pointed and everything. But it's the most important. There's two that are really important. One is don't respond when you're hot, which is that's like, fair. That's every, yeah, that's every like crisis. advice for life. Yeah. 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 Um, and the other was ask your friends for help. Oh, interesting. Which was... I mean, it's it's almost like one of those pieces of advice that goes without saying, but at the same time, you're like, oh, yeah, I can ask my friends for help. And sometimes the help is just, can I vent to you about this person who is not involved with mm -hmm. this at all? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I cannot, I have miles of texts with like Aaron Colite, who was not working on this show and has his own like crises and fires to put out on his own show. And I just be like, oh, my God. Listen to this one. Listen to yeah. this one. <laughs> yeah. And he'd be like, man, that sounds awful. And I was like, yeah. And then I felt better. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I had shared it. I had given somebody else some of the pain. <laughs> it feels actually sounds really cruel. But it was helpful. And it was really helpful too when I would like text a friend and be like, I'm I'm losing it. And they'd be like, Is there anything I can do to help? Like, <laughs> do you need me to write this script for you? <laughs> I'd be like, Well, no, but I really appreciate that you offered. Yeah. And uh because it does, it it can be very isolating. Yeah, you know where you're like, I guess this is just my problem now. And it's not being alone. Yeah, it's not being alone. Yeah, you're not on a ship in the middle of you know the water. Getting no. back to boats. Getting back to boats. <laughs> not never in the boats. triangle of no sadness. Boats. Yeah. Well, I think no there's boats. also this outside misconception that you know a movie set is here's the perfect script and the director just sits there and goes like this and the actors know exactly what to do and everything's perfect and the producer writes a check and is like there's such and you're you know your leaders and your problem solvers and you're you know everybody's wearing so many hats I think there's that outside view that oh this must be nirvana at all times oh it's <laughs> and it's not it's not I mean in some ways it is. It's really magical. Right. And it's fun. And it's, it's fun. Not, yeah. But like the idea that like the script is ever really done right. is yeah. hilarious to me. Um, you know, and there's there's times when actors feel like I don't I don't understand this or I don't get this or I don't want to say this or is there why am I doing this? why am I doing yeah. this and is there another you know and I'm always really willing to like work with if they feel like if something doesn't sound right to them there's that's something I have to listen to because there's a reason yeah um and sometimes I'm like let's just can we get it once as scripted and then you can riff mm -hmm. because you don't want to come back without the line on the page because sometimes the network and studio are like well, wait where did that line go yeah and you're kind of like I didn't want to say it um but I do I I always invite improv and I sort of invite the actor's input in the moment if there's something they're mm -hmm. feeling or something something they just want to kind of throw in there or try out like I love that like we can yeah. you know and on this show we didn't have a lot of time to workshop you know we didn't there was no rehearsal time there was no we didn't have time for table reads it was really we were we were under lots of guns mm -hmm. and um but generally I think it's really fun to be able to like be like well, what do you think yeah how would you like just what what sounds right to you mm-hmm and but yeah the yeah it is it is it is not easy but when it's all done and you've sort of like handed it in and you're finished you're like 
was a piece of cake. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like giving birth. Hindsight, hindsight's like, oh, 2020. Do <laughs> I don't remember. Exactly. And I, like, I even left myself notes that was like, when the day comes when you're like, this was a piece of cake, no problem. Like, I'm just here to remind you. <laughs> it was this. not. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever find yourse- yourself having writer's block and how do you get through it? Um, writer's block is real. Um, I, uh, I, I will walk away and go read something, Mm. um, and, and, or go like watch another show, like just to, you have to free your mind. I mean, real writer's block is a serious thing. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever experienced like real honest to God writer's block, but like I have been sort of like overpowered by like procrastination bugs and like that's you know the only thing that's gonna be the antidote to that is a deadline yeah um and you know and I take deadlines pretty seriously I don't I don't blow past them because I it stresses me out too much but I always say like if you're staring at the screen and nothing's coming out like you got to walk away from that screen Mm -hmm. and you have to people are like Ideas come to them when they're driving. Ideas come to them at the gym, I hear. I imagine that's what happens with John Legend <laughs> at the gym, at my gym. He, um, or you, uh, in the shower. The shower. The shower. The shower. Best thinking. And my theory Best is that thinking. like you're doing something else with your body. Mm-hmm. And, your mo- and your brain is working on that. And that relaxes this really tense muscle mm-hmm. that is struggling so hard to find an idea. Yeah. The other problem is like, it's like right before you fall asleep and that's a disaster. Cause you're like, oh, that's the best idea. I got, I should write that down, but I can't lift my head or my arms. So I'm definitely gonna remember this in the morning and you never do. Or sometimes you write something down and then you see it in the morning and you're yeah, like, that like, doesn't make this? any sense. That was a terrible idea. That is. <laughs> but it is true that like you do, you have to give yourself a little like grace and just walk away from the thing and say like, I don't have it right now. Mm-hmm. And I might not even have it tomorrow, but at some point I'll have it. And also like you can call a friend, yeah, like on Millionaire where you're like, I'm stuck on this thing. And they might they might not have an idea, but even just talking about it yeah, might get you to an idea. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned um, like kind of handing thing or the studio being involved with the evolution of your career. Have you seen a lot of changes from when back like ghost whisperer, like when there's more true network and then with all of the streaming services, all of the media conglomerates that are, are you seeing different, um, a difference in your work because of where, you know, who's, who's overseeing that or where it's going eventually? Oh Yeah. And it's it's dramatically different, and it the the pace at which it changes is dramatic. Um, you know, f- five or six years ago, uh, what was Hulu? Right. You know, and five or six years before that, Netflix was red envelopes that came in the mail, and brought DVDs. And then and you is kept it them. more freeing? Is it it's easier? more free- creatively? It's, it's a lot more freeing. There uh-huh. are definitely streamers. Um, where I've worked, where like anything goes, where you get almost no notes, um, where you can just sky's the limit. And, you know, certainly like at Netflix, when they order a 10 episode series, they're just asking for 10 hours of television and you can divide it up any way you want. Oh, interesting. So you can have a 20 minute episode hmm. and then you can have a 50 minute episode 
because they just needed to add up. Mm -hmm. This was this was the case the last time I worked there. Again, it could have changed. Now I could be speaking out of school, but like that was unbelievably freeing because okay. with broadcast or even with basic cable, it has to come in at a very precise time. Like this, like Watchful Eye has to be exact between right. 42, I think it's between 42.00 and 42.30. Wow. Like you have a 30 second window. Like window and if it's 42.32, it is too long. Wow. And you have to like go shave out frames and that's cool though. I like, I mean, editing is to me is magic. It's like you can do anything, but um, it has changed. It's changed creatively. It's changed the pilot cycle. Like it used to be that like you went into the broadcast networks and you sold a pilot idea in August or maybe July or maybe September. And once I sold something in November, but that was a, an outlier. And then you write it and you hand it in before Christmas. And then you do one rewrite after Christmas. And then they make decisions about which pilots they're mm -hmm. going to make. And then they make them in March. And then they decide what's going to go on the air in May. And then it all starts over again. And that's what used to be. Mm -hmm. And that's still sort of the case at the big networks, kind of. Except for now, everything is totally year-round. And you can go mm -hmm. anywhere. And it feels, too, like there are more outlets springing up all the time. And becoming interesting and becoming Hulu and being yeah. like, oh, yeah, we have The Handmaid's Tale and we mm -hmm. have, you know, all this cool stuff. And they devote the resources to it that it needs and they make it amazing. And um, and and people will come. It's like if you build it, they will come. So it's, you know, it and it's interesting the way like the fortunes ebb and flow with the fortunes of these big. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, corporate entities, let's call them. Um, like Disney or NBC Universal, like these are huge companies with right. like stockholders. And so you're even on your own, in your own little microcosm of your show, you're still thinking about the health of the company. Mm -hmm. And you're still thinking about how am I contributing to strengthening this company's bottom line. And, and it's not enough to just be critically acclaimed and it's not enough yeah. to just have like you know decent ratings it's you really have to distinguish yourself and that's hard because like everyone thinks they're yeah. making a good show right but you know some of them sink and some of them swim yeah well I guess that leads me to my next question for you is one of the things that you had said and you know had mentioned was just shows being canceled yeah after a pilot or after a season you know and Obviously, that pace has sped up based on how much content is now out there based on the streamers and all of the different avenues and channels. It's like, what would you tell young creatives right now to just stay inspired? Because, you know, it's like this this industry, it's like there's more opportunity to be shut down while there is enough opportunity to thrive <laughs> at it this is, point, right? I mean, the good news is that the appetite for content is bottomless, Yeah, where everybody needs content. And you know, it's, we've always said, it's like playing the lottery. It's like, oh, you bought one lottery ticket. You didn't win the lottery, but next season you'll have two lottery tickets. Yeah. And then four. And then this is becoming math, which is outside of my purview. <laughs> but it's just like the, the longer you stick with it, I think the real currency is original ideas. Yeah. Um, I think more and more uh, what we're seeing, and again, there's, there is a downside to this, but you know, new writers are coming in with original ideas and 
because there is such an appetite for content, they're going sort of, they're vaulting over the, you know, what we knew as sort of the the ascending ladder of seniority at a television show where it used to be that you came in as a staff writer or you came in as an assistant maybe and then you got promoted to staff writer. And this is sort of an apprenticeship. You know, you're yeah. starting off at a show. You are probably, you know, perhaps one of the younger people there or one of the less experienced people there and you're and you get to watch you get to see how the show gets made and you don't have a ton of responsibility but you get to you're at the table yeah and then you work your way up and you get to where you are a co-ep or an ep on the show and then maybe you'll have your own show but by that time you've worked on a show for six seasons and you know what you're doing <coughs> so that was the old 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 model that's like yeah. from the pleistocene era now, what we're seeing more and more is like young writers are, they have an idea and they end up selling the idea, but then they're like, okay, how do you do this? How do you make TV into TV? Mm -hmm. How does this script become a show? And then, then the, the, uh, the, the way that they end up retrofitting it is they find a more senior writer like me or, or my peers who have been doing this a long time and they say, can you supervise this writer? Um, and help them get their thing yeah. into shape and get this on the air. So, and, but that's, you know, there's a limited resource of senior writers who are not working on their own thing or on a show already. So it's, it's a little bit of a, I guess I would say that your original ideas are really valuable and are worth like working on and doing whatever you can to promote them. Um, but sometimes... You, the thing you're writing is something that could be a great sample, like my script Blockhead. Like you couldn't yeah. sell it. You couldn't make it. There was nothing I could do with it. All it was was a writing sample, but it got me a bunch of jobs mm -hmm. because people dug the script because it was fun and it was funny and they liked reading it. And so I think having a great sample is vitally important. I don't think people need to have a hundred samples. Yeah, It's like, and that's, you know, I'm almost like, the most important thing to me is meeting somebody. Like that's how I, like when I'm putting yeah. together a staff, I'm like, are you a cool hang? It's cultural. It's a cultural fit. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like, like. You've just been talking yeah. with these people. Yeah. Do you want to come hang out yeah. with me and do this thing? Like if you, if you've gotten to me, if I've gotten your sample, then you can write. Yeah. Right. You know, because there's so many, there's so many gates between just someone with a script and, oh, I'm submitting this for staffing. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I found, I always found it like when I was first starting out, I went to the movies every Friday by myself and would just see whatever was coming out like during the day, like yeah. day movies. Day movies are the best. Day oh, movies are the best. I miss having I miss, time for day movies. Yeah. Very, very much. But that was like, you know, I was young and carefree and. Yeah. Could make your own schedule. And I go to the mall. <laughs> and, but that was, that inspired me. You know, that was like, I w and then because I was learning how to write a movie, I was, I was there as a student, you, you know, have a favorite I was, movie. Do I have a favorite movie? Or fa I always say you have to have three, three favorite. You can't ever pick one. Oh boy. Do you have a. Uh, Goodfellas is the movie that I think I reference the most often. Okay. That's a um, one. Rosemary's Baby oh. is the other movie that I referenced the most often and was very um, uh, handy 
and referenced often in Watchful Eye because uh, it's also a haunted apartment right, building right. In, uh, on the Upper West Side. And um, <laughs> probably Rushmore. Oh, so funny. Yeah. I was going to say, there has to be something yeah. lighter in there. I was going to say. It's yeah. <laughs> like, those are some heavy. Well, you know, the movies I liked the best as a kid are now – I the director who shall not be named and is canceled. So I can't, I feel like I would be um, not, I don't want to <laughs> reference those yeah. as early favorites, but they, I think pre-cancellation, I, I was very uh, influenced and, and inspired by Woody Allen. <laughs> but mm -hmm. that's, listen. That's smart humor. Who can just call it? That's a, yeah, that's just, yeah, there's very I mean, much a smart humor. And, and that, urbane, yeah. like, you know, that I, I was, I, I just found it really relatable. And like, there were certain movies I saw as a little kid, probably too young mm -hmm. that just made me feel grown up, you know, because like, if I could laugh at that joke, if right. I got that joke, then maybe, maybe I, maybe that meant I would grow up to have a sense of humor. Right. I don't know. Right. There's something, there was something aspirational about, um, those, those, those types of movies. Um, I loved, uh, She's Gotta Have It. I loved, you know, a lot of early, like, cool independent films, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Um, Cam early Cameron Crowe, like, Say oh. Anything, Singles. Almost <gasps> Famous is one of my, it was my top three. That's uh, uh, just brilliant. I Almost Famous. That movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I also like horror. I like, you know, it's, my husband can't watch anything scary at all. <laughs> um, he has to, like, leave the house if there are zombies on TV and I'm not a horror person. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think it was Paul that I'm mentioned like horror person. and comedy, like screaming, then laughing is yeah. such a natural emotion that yes. they really can, you know, go together. A lot of comedy people known for comedy, love horror and, and get inspiration from that, which I was, I, I'm not a horror person. It never mm -hmm. kind of put them together, but it makes sense. I, I wasn't a horror person, but I feel like I've become a horror person and maybe it's because like, <laughs> it feels so like, dysregulated in life it's like <laughs> let me just watch the thing that's like incredibly horrible and then it'll make me feel calm where I'm like well it's that was horrible <laughs> <laughs> but now it's over yeah, yeah. and it wasn't I would, real uh, and I don't it. I don't live in the hereditary house and that's <laughs> that's that person's problem but um but yeah and then you know some of my favorite someone asked me recently what my favorite tv shows were and I was kind of went back to the vault like early favorites like moonlighting and oh, 30 yeah. something and felicity and oh yeah you know just really living in living in that world and um you know i loved original beverly hills 90210 and uh melrose place like just you know those fun escapist yeah. soaps um well, and they're meant know. to take you out of the reality right like, yeah that's the whole point and i think that's probably why horror does it too right because it's it's this is not reality. And that's the whole point of viewing is you can go into your imagination and you can, it's, it's escapism in some ways. Yeah. And that's sort of, yeah, I, I read this book a couple of years ago. I, I listened to it on audible, um, called sapiens. That was about the history of homo sapiens. Uh -huh. Fascinating. Um, and, uh, it said that that's the thing that, that makes humans human is that we can envision another world mm. that mm -hmm. we can tell stories. Mm -hmm. And that that is the sort of like that was the divide between, 
you know, sort of us and the rest of the animal kingdom is the is the capacity to be able to envision um, like a higher being, a God, or being able to come up with an alternate story to the one that you're in. And that uh, that sort of that struck me, obviously, because I'm still talking about it. Um, it's really as we it's really profound because I think there is something um, amazing about the tradition of, of sharing stories, sharing mythologies, you know, and it's, and it, and it lives, you know, it lives and it lives beyond even like library of Congress, which was, that was my initial goal. Like, (laughs) I just want to be in the library of Congress somewhere. It was something that lasts. Yeah. And like, there's a novelization of this movie I wrote, New York minute that has my name on it. And I'm like, there you go. Library of Congress. I'm in. <laughs> I exi- I'm immortal now. Done. This is just like but, forever. But there is something about it that does feel like if you if you hit it right, then and you're telling a story that's meaningful, like it it outlives you, and it's and it's that's very it's very reassuring. That's an amazing goal and an accomplishment. So you know, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> just be, make yourself immortal for all of us to strive for. Well, it's interesting <laughs> what you said about the about the escapism. Is going back to my film buyer days. There's data that supports um, films that were made to capture something in time right then, like when you know the war in Iran, or we just we just experienced it. Was she said this mm-hmm. this that it's it's too much. It's it's too in. We're living this every day. Why we would never go escape to see this? Where we need to go escape? It doesn't have to be fluffy. It can be horror. It can be this, but something that's yeah. not our not our current reality. And those mm-hmm. you know those films, those projects, they just they just miss because we're we're watching it every day. Why would you want to go yeah. to your, you know, your happy, good place of, of going to a movie theater or, or your time with Netflix, whatever it is, and, and watch what you're living every day. You just don't want to. Right. But that also speaks to how something becomes like um, uh, almost like a, a file that you can come back to later. Yeah, you later. can do it like, later. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I wonder if people felt that way about All the President's Men, where right. they're like, yeah. do I have to go watch a movie about Watergate? Meanwhile, I love All yeah. the President's yeah. Men. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can now go back to back it later. Absolutely. It's a time yeah. capsule. Yeah. And like when we were trying to explain yeah. Watergate to the kids, we're like, yeah. we're going to watch, watch All the President's, President's Men. Men. Yeah. They thought it was Yeah, it's just that, yeah, dry. When it, it's timing. Timing is everything, but, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's also yeah. like, you know, I was just encouraging a friend yesterday to watch broadcast news, but I like I like laid all these caveats all over. I'm like, it is really dated. Yeah. It is very dated. But at the time, it felt right. So current. Right. And now it's like, oh my God, videotapes and like these giant, I mean, there's a giant video camera, but like it's, (laughs) you know, it, it, there are moments in that movie that at the time felt so current and now feel like it's like watching like singing in the rain. It's like, (laughs) it feels like an old movie, but it's like, but there is something universal in the message and something that does um, sort of um, persist and and lives on in our imagination. and becomes a historical document, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right. I think there is such a saturation right now of the 24-hour news cycle and the constant updates and the minute right, something media, happens. Yeah. It's like we're, we're so inundated with day-to-day content. It's mm-hmm. like how many alerts do you get on the phone from whatever news source you pull from? You know, you're you're up to date all the time. Right. And I think that escapism is something that is very well 
I think it's well received now. I think people are looking for it and, you know, you know, when you're starting to look at some of the shows that have been hits over the past two years, there's reasons for it. Yeah, the rom-com coming back, you know, the, um, the, the mysteries coming back, the the comedies coming back. I mean, even talking about what comedy looks like now and how important it is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like Abbott Elementary and oh, Ghosts yeah. are two of my new favorites mm-hmm. that I absolutely love. You know, and it's interesting, too, because like, you know, having made worked on two different shows during COVID, um, we talked a lot about like, do we acknowledge this in the reality of the show? Mm-hmm. And there were some shows that did like Shameless had a yeah. whole season mm-hmm. where it was like they were wearing masks. The morning show did, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like this is there is a choice you make where you're like, we are going to acknowledge this. And in that moment watching Shameless, I was like, I remember thinking like, <gasps> like, you guys are wearing masks. Yeah, like we're all wearing this? masks. Yeah, yeah. A bummer. But like, for anyone who's going to go back and watch that again, it becomes a historical document. It places it in time, and the day will come when we all are, I hope, looking back and saying, "Oh my God, remember when?" Yeah. Um, but we chose in the world of the watchful eye to, you know, create a world where either COVID was over or COVID had never happened, or you know, we we didn't deal with it because I felt it was enough of a fairy tale and enough of a enough it removed enough from reality with the supernatural component and the, you know, um, some aspects of it that were just sort of, I hope, timeless mm-hmm. uh, that I felt like we didn't necessarily need to anchor it in a particular um, year. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, everything's always anchored in a year because yeah. Are there iPhones? Right. Or right. are there it, not iPhones? I, right. It's all obvious. Well, it's funny because when we were talking before we started taping about like Gilmore Girls, like they're, they're like, on the, you can see like the evolution of the, the iPhone. Right. Or the, or the right. phones. The flip phones. Being like and the... Blackberries and like flip phones. And I mean, it's the crazy. Way my children howled at that phone in Wall Street. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Where Michael Douglas is there like, yeah. what is that? Yeah, that and it was brick. like that He's, huge brick with uh, an antenna, and I was like, uh, "That was the height of technology." Oh, he was, was like, "This oh, is yeah. what the really rich guys had it was like a phone you could take to the beach." Oh yeah, in a bag. Oh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have I have a ten year old, um, and she was got into like the Save by the Bell, and the Zach Morris phone uh-huh. was like, oh. like, "What is that?" It's <laughs> like, that's, that's Wait, have you tried to explain to your children what an answering machine is? Mm-hmm. It's a hilarious conversation where they're like, well, what do you mean that they didn't know? How did they, you know, if they called? Well, you didn't. Well, well, what did you do? You called back. And then if you were fancy, you had an answer machine. They were like, what do you, what is that? What do you mean? It's just, just hilarious, the everything, whole evolution yeah, of everything those. I try to explain. They look at me like, like you're, what are you talking yeah, about? What are you talking about, mommy? I, like try yeah. explaining to them like live television. Oh. Where you're like, oh yeah, the show was on at eight. And if you were not home at eight, you didn't see the yes. show. Well, that was like, that's like one of the core. I, I watched this documentary around um, Gen X and one of the cultural definitions, like, or the defining moments for, for the generation is the fact that we were all around one television at eight mm-hmm. o'clock on a Friday. Like you didn't have all of this content right, to, choose to, from. to choose from that. It's like our cultural references are at eight o'clock on Friday, you sat down and it was the 
TGIF or you know whatever that show it was, you know, or what our parents watched, like Dallas, you know, oh, yeah. everybody. Dallas. Think about. Well, that. I'm older than you guys, and I with with um, Cindy Williams passing away. I mean, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley were that. Right. When I was little, it was a Tuesday night. You watched Happy Days at 7 and Laverne and Shirley at 7.30. And again, it was that – and everybody talked about it the next day that was because the, that there was, was – was and nobody put anything on to compete with them because it was so popular. Yeah. Oh, I mean I imagine yeah. there was some kind of news hour on. For, oh, yeah, maybe on the other channel the, or something. For that you one it. family that had two televisions. Yeah. Like. Oh. Those people. I don't yeah, know about those. But when you talked about that, the yeah. cycle of pilots and, and I was like, does anyone know what a rerun is anymore? A repeat, mm -hmm. we, uh, you know, the, the summer you watch reruns because it was, you know, shows went from September to May. And then in the summer you watched reruns. And I remember being so excited for the new shows to start in September again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was just the. There was the one summer, I think it must have been summer of 1992 when Beverly Hills 90210 had new episodes over <gasps> the summer God. that were set in the summer. The uh, whole point. Uh, was oh, the, like, oh, like the kids whole beach were on club? The beach club. The beach club. <laughs> the beach club, right, 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 right. <laughs> and. I was living in New York City that summer and worked, I forget where I was, I think I had a couple different jobs, but I didn't have a television. And so I had to make friends based on their television availability. Like, <laughs> do your parents live in the city? Do they have a television? Can I come watch 90210 With you. on uh, the TV? And that was so the funny. basis of the friendship. Well, I remember, like, even as a kid, when 90210 was out, I, you know... I was on that border age of like what's appropriate, what wasn't, but my mom would open the newspaper and read the description. And I remember like oh, the episode yeah. that Brenda, like Brenda could have been pregnant or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like my mom was like, oh, you're not watching You're not that. watching that. Like Gosh, she read it every that. week. The TV. The TV guy the, uh, in the yeah, back of the paper. paper yeah. And my mom religiously, and I was always like, <sighs> stupid paper. <laughs> <laughs> and like I'd like sneak away to a friend's house to be like, can I watch it over here? Because they didn't have DVR back then. No, like, no. you just record like, something on a VCR. On a VCR, but like yeah. my mother would find it. So it was like, yeah, no, you yeah, were, you had you to were out a lot. It was, I was, I was completely SOL that day. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> was like oh man, uh, well, I didn't well, hear you about have it. A huge project right now that we're so so. But before I know, we're getting the we're getting the wrap it up. We're getting there. The the we're getting play us off. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what? Uh, can you, any what's coming next? Can you talk about your projects? What do you? Oh, uh, that I'm working. On? Yeah, that you're working on. Um, that we well, can... we're you know the obviously Watchful Eye has just premiered. So yeah, yeah. So right, in the we middle. don't yet know about a season two. Okay. Um, I have you know lit various candles, um, and I you know we'd we'd all love to come back and tell more of this story. When yeah. you get to the end of the season, I think you'll see that there's, um, it it is set up for more storytelling. Uh, that that would be great fun. Um. And I have a couple of other ideas that I'm I'm working on in in, this, in developing. And you know this this experience on this show was was fairly draining. I'll I'll be the first to admit that. And um, it it left me a little bit out of gas. So it it I it took me a while to get back to a place where I felt like I could mm. sort of be creative again. Um, Do you take breaks from pro after projects? Normally I don't. Okay. And this time I kind of forced myself to because I think it's, uh, you know, the last couple of years have taught us like, hey, like you've got to safeguard your own mental health mm -hmm. and yeah. mm -hmm. no one's going to do it for you. And, you know, I'm pretty like, I don't know, type A and driven and all those, th all the things. Yeah. And I, I don't really like sitting around and not doing anything. Right. Um, so I like volunteered a lot at my kids' schools. Like I did stuff. 
but it wasn't that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, I do think it's important, um, you know, as, as I sort of, you know, uh, get more experience under my belt and sort of am able to look back and say like, oh yeah, I should have taken a break there and I didn't. Um, and I'm trying to like let ideas germinate a little bit more slowly than I have in the past because I feel like I was, I was really just on a treadmill and, um, you know, I, I, I think there's something to be said for really giving an idea a lot of thought and care. Like, um, we've just started watching Poker Face and Poker Face is is beautifully constructed. And someone obviously gave that a lot of thought and care. And, you know, you can really see it. And I find that very inspiring. You know, as you were saying, like, what do you do when you're blocked? It's like, go watch something else that's wonderful. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, I don't know if I can do that, but like I could do something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, 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 it's very, I find that very replenishing. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm in a little bit of a, I'm circling over the airport waiting for someone to either tell me to land or to go to Ontario. You know, it's like, (laughs) I, 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 it's, this is the hard part of this business, which is, it's sort of feast or famine. Yeah. Like either like six months ago, I was working harder than I've ever worked in my life and didn't have one moment to like so much as like, I don't know, get a haircut. You know, it was like, there was yeah. nothing. It was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm working or I'm passed out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you finish it and then you're like, okay, now there's just, now we wait. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's like a hard pivot. Um, and I think, you know, I tell people often ask me, like, how do you do this? Like, how do you keep your wits about you in this business? Like, it's so hard. Like, you know, these cancellations yeah. are hard. Yeah. And like the, you know, putting someone, you know, even just putting all this work into writing a pilot that someone just passes on and they pass on it for a variety of reasons. And I've had to like train myself to understand like, okay, they're passing on it because it's not what they want right this second. Not because it's bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's bad, but it's like. It's just not their thing right now. Yeah. And, you know, but it, it can be really crushing. It's like hard on your ego, um, you know, especially if you're, you know, basically an A student and you're used to people saying like, hey, you did a really good job on this. Yeah. A slash A minus, you know, versus like, you know, getting a pilot passed on feels like a big F. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's so it's I think it takes a strong stomach, but I also think it takes perspective and having support from, I mean, friends and family, like mostly friends, family, sure. Um, but, you know, having a, a sense of, I mean, it's a little, it's it sounds more negative than it is, but it's like misery loves company. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, I have so many friends in the business who are doing exactly, like exactly what I'm doing and who understand and we're it's community. It's, it's finding yeah, it's, it's finding yeah. your your kindred souls in the process that you can commiserate, you can celebrate, you can, you know, you can grieve together, you can, you know, you yeah. can face all of that together. And that's something that is so irreplaceable. It's it's huge. Yeah. And you also have to have some friends from outside the business where you're like, you know, like lawyers and doctors and stuff. Like ground you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where you're like, oh my God, this stupid thing happened. And they're like, oh, well, I also had a stupid thing happen. And you're like, well. 
Your student your, your, Wow, yeah. that's your, your, your doctor. Your, your, yeah, okay. Yeah. It goes back to your perspective, conversation of uh, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing fun things. Uh, well, Emily, it has been such a pleasure to have you. Thank oh, you oh so my much gosh. for coming on. Thank you. And we wish Thank you, you so much luck. And we are cheering from the stands for you. Thank you. And you can come on Reddit and like we can theorize and we can talk about yes. like doorknobs. And, <laughs> and um, but yeah, it's it's. So like that is the, going on Reddit is so brave. I give you so many props. Yeah, especially yeah, like, not anonymously. I, I, I know. The, when the moment comes when someone comes for me yeah. on Reddit and is like, "Oh, you're t you're a total sham and you're horrible and you're whatever," then I'll be like, "Oh yeah, I don't want to be on Reddit." And yeah. you're gonna be like yeah. white blob. Yeah, yeah, yeah white, white blob. blob. <laughs> I'm but um, but no, I mean it is fun, and that's sort of like that's the internet is is terrifying but it's also like yeah it yeah. gives you this like so access like yeah. when would you the ever be bad. able to like get people asking in real time like oh my god is it the doorknob <laughs> and you can be like no but, but good idea. i love that you thought that <laughs> yeah you know yeah. like this feels like it makes me feel like i'm doing the thing like connecting to an actual audience it's really it's really a treat yeah well thank you so much it was so nice having you thank you and for we will having me if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with In Her Words, join the conversation by following Women in Entertainment on our social channels and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womenandentertainment.com.